Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 7 Assured by Grace We have seen that eternal security is the objective truth that we are related to God forever. Assurance is the subjective realization or experience of that truth. Our eternal security cannot change. Our assurance can. An Epidemic of Doubt The lack of assurance is a pervasive problem in the world and in the church and I believe it is a crisis of proportion. If misunderstanding eternal security is a big problem among Christians, you can see how assurance is also. I'm convinced that in just about every church there are people who are not sure they are saved, and yet many of them are Christians. Many or even most Christians at one time or another have struggled with knowing for sure that they are saved. I did, and as a pastor I continually met others who did. I have even met seminary students who were not sure they were saved. Imagine that, people studying so they can bring good news and hope to others, but they themselves do not know if they are Christians. I've asked many people this question. If you were to die and stand before God and He were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer? Some typical answers are, I'm a pretty good person. I try to be good. I try to keep the Bible's commandments. I've tried to do the best I can. Then my next question is, how do you know when you're good enough or have done enough? From there, it's easy to show them that they cannot be sure about their eternal destiny based on their own idea of goodness or their performance. That's because there's always somebody who is better than them, and besides, God's standard for heaven is perfection. With so many views of the gospel being preached, it's no wonder so many believers are confused and in doubt about their salvation but there are other reasons people stumble into doubt. Doubts about doubts Some Christians, unfortunately, perpetuate the lack of assurance by teaching that doubts are good. They say doubts make us examine our lives to see if our salvation is genuine. But that is an exercise in futility because no life is perfect and no one's judgment is flawless. One passage used to argue that doubts are good is 2 Corinthians 13.5, which says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not 
know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. But this does not teach that Christians should question their salvation. In the context, Paul is defending his authenticity as an apostle against the attacks of the false apostles. He is saying, don't examine my authenticity, examine yours. One of the greatest proofs that Paul is a true apostle preaching the true gospel is the Corinthians themselves. If they are saved and know that Christ is in them, then Paul is authentic because he is the one who preached Christ to them. Paul assumes that they do, indeed, know that Christ is in them. Sometimes doubt is built into a church's tradition and culture. Preachers harangue churchgoers, causing them to question whether they are really saved. Do you give enough? Witness enough? Attend church enough? Pray enough? And so on. Real Christians would give more, witness more, attend church more, pray more, they say. Then the people are constantly invited to get right with God, which in some cloudy way implies that they need to really be saved. In some church traditions, a whole revivalistic and evangelistic industry has resulted from getting saved people to feel unsaved so that they can be truly saved or saved again. No healthy relationship can be built on doubt and uncertainty. That is true in human relationships and in our relationship with God. Doubts inhibit confidence, intimacy, and maturity. Suppose two parents have a young daughter. When she does what they tell her, they assure her with the words, That's our daughter. When she disobeys, they tell her, I don't think you're our daughter, because you didn't do what we said. Is that a healthy environment for growth? How could it be? The daughter is not grounded in unconditional love and acceptance, which undermines her motivation to grow and to please her parents. Sooner or later, she'll probably tire of such fickle conditional love and may give up trying to please her parents altogether. The same sad outcome occurs for many who live with doubts about their salvation because they are in a religious system that makes God's grace and salvation conditional. I'm strongly convinced that those who doubt their salvation do not have a solid foundation for further Christian growth. They are not grounded in grace. Their forward look toward growth and maturity is constantly interrupted by their backward glance to check if they were really saved. No one can go forward as God wants when that person is looking backward. Or to use an analogy, no one can mature as a child of God when that person wonders if he or she really is his child at all. Why People Doubt People may have doubts about their eternal salvation for a number of reasons. One obvious reason is that it's possible that they may have never believed the gospel of grace. Many people believe in a false or faulty gospel or respond to an emotional appeal at church or to the feeling that God is speaking to them about something. They may have thought that joining a church meant they were saved, but they have nagging doubts about whether they did it. These people have never really understood the gospel message that we are sinners who need to be saved, and that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died to pay the penalty for our sin and then rose from the dead and promises us eternal life if we believe him for it. People can also be filled with doubts if they believed the gospel at one time but later fell into false teaching. They may be misled to believe that they can lose their salvation because of sin, not feeling saved, not going to church, or any number of things. Some believers will doubt their salvation because they fall into sin, and their conscience is confused or condemning them. They mistake the conviction of sin and the effects of guilt with the loss of salvation. 
When believers experience severe trials, it could cause them to wonder if God still loves and accepts them. This is why the Bible reassures us that no bad thing that happens to us can separate us from God's love. People with an introspective or emotional personality often have trouble with their assurance of salvation. They are prone to depend too much on feelings so that they question themselves. Christians who have been lied to or betrayed by others can easily have problems with assurance. They have issues of trust that are projected onto God even though He is totally trustworthy. For them, it is just plain difficult to believe someone, even God. When the emphasis is on feelings, some Christians may not feel the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's face it, there are bad days when everything feels bad. Sickness, fatigue, pressure, criticism, or a spoiled piece of fish can disrupt our internal mechanisms physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Some Christians belong to churches or groups that so emphasize the doctrines of God's predestination and election that they may wonder if they are one of God's elect or chosen ones. This is especially true when they are taught that professing Christians can only know for sure when they die because they must persevere to the end of their lives in faith and good works. No one can know now if he or she will be living faithfully at the time of death, so by default no one can know that he or she is saved. How my heart breaks for people who have fallen into these errors. How much more is God's heart broken by those who doubt his unconditional love? How can their doubts about salvation be dispelled? How can they live and rejoice in freedom from their uncertainty and be assured that they belong to God forever? It's simply by grace. Can we know for sure? In spite of the teaching that we cannot know for sure we are saved or that doubts are good and normal for the Christian, we have to deal with the biblical data. There is no doubt, the pun may be intended, that New Testament authors knew they were saved. Just read the introduction to some of the epistles and see how they refer to themselves. In Romans 1.1, for example, we read, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. No uncertainty there. Paul knew that if he were to die, he would immediately pass into the presence of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, he said, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. No uncertainty there either. We get the same certainty from James and James 1.1 and Peter and 1 Peter 1.1 and 2 Peter 1.1, Jude and Jude 1 and John. Let's talk more about John. The Apostle John wrote these words in 1 John 5.11-13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John tells his readers that if they have Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. Since they have believed in Jesus, they should know that they have eternal life. It is a simple statement of fact. All people born into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ should know that they have eternal life. John and the other New Testament authors knew their readers were saved as evidenced by the terms they used for them. Brothers, holy brothers, beloved of God, babes in Christ, saints, heirs of God, church of God, elect, and so on. They sometimes greet them in the name of God our Father, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 2 Thessalonians 1.1. God our Savior, 1 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, or our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 2, 2 Corinthians 1 2, 1 Peter 1 3. Sometimes the authors commend their readers for their faith and obedience. Romans 6 17, Colossians 1 4, 1 Thessalonians 1 3. The point is, if we can find just one instance in which any of their readers were considered to be saved or consider themselves saved, then it is possible for them to know that they are saved. If this were not true, the epistles would be like shots fired randomly, hoping to hit a target, the saved. The full force and responsibility conveyed by the various authors' admonitions are realized only by those who know they are saved. I have heard some object that it's presumptuous to assume you are saved. They argue that only God can know, and only God needs to know. But the presumption is in those who would say such a thing in light of a passage like 1 John 5, 1-13. If God wants us to know we are saved, then it is presumptuous not to know. If God made us a promise to be believed, then it is presumptuous not to take God at his word. Who are we to say his promise cannot be true for us? His word is true as stated. God thinks that we should know and that we need to know. Dispelling the Doubts The Gospel of John is also important in our discussion of assurance because John wrote it for a specific purpose. And truly Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John 20, verse 30 through 31. John wrote so that his readers would believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. If no one could be sure about that, would John have ever realized his purpose? To accomplish his purpose, he repeatedly records the promises of God. The best known is in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The promise of God's gift of eternal life could not be more simple. Believe in His Son Jesus, and you will have everlasting life. You either believe this, or you do not. Another good passage for John's purpose is John 5.24. Quote, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Again, the promise is simple and sure. If you believe in Christ, you will not come into judgment for your sins, including unbelief, but will pass from death to life, being separated from God to being born into his family. There is no middle ground of uncertainty. One more passage from John is 647. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Nothing new here, only the simplest reiteration of God's promise. Believe, and you will have everlasting or eternal life. Are you sure? Now we see that the promise of assurance cannot be with God's word, its purpose, clarity, or simplicity. The problem can only be with us who hear it. Do we believe it or not? Or better stated, do we believe him or not? Based on the word of God, we know that if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we can know that we have eternal life. That really should settle it. There is no higher authority than God's Word. Although I've heard these promises most of my childhood, I don't recall that anyone ever challenged me to believe that they were true for me personally. I thought they were true for the world in some general and cosmic way, 
But later, as a teenager with a heart hungry for truth, someone challenged me to read them again and personally appropriate or believe the promises. They sounded true, and I believed them. But I read other literature and listened to other people who had different views about how to have eternal life, and soon I became confused. Was I sorry enough for my sins? Had I turned away from all of my sins? Did I, did I make Jesus Christ the master of all of my life? Had I promised to love, obey, and serve him? And the list would keep growing. Almost immediately after I had believed, I became confused. Could these other conditions be necessary for eternal life, I thought? If so, am I really saved? I remember the time I settled my doubts once and for all. Up to that point, if people had asked me if I was a Christian, I would say, I don't know. It seemed presumptuous and arrogant to say yes, as if I had done all the things that others said I needed to do. But one evening after a Christian concert, I went up to tell one of the group how much I enjoyed their music. This fellow grabbed my hand, looked me in the eye, and said, Charlie, are you a Christian? In the second it took to answer, I remember thinking how ridiculous it is to have doubts about God's simple promise of eternal life. Evidently, this guy knew he was saved, and he expected me to know. And God expected me to know. Yes, I said, and I have never had to answer otherwise since. The way I understand the Bible, anyone who is a true Christian would at some point have had to believe God's promise of eternal life, because that's what it means to become a Christian, a believer. Some people have never had to look back or deal with doubts about their salvation. They believed God's promise, and that settled it. Others believed, but later got confused. Some find their way out of the fog. Others live there miserably. But the truth we must not miss is this. God wants us to know we are saved and it pleases him when we believe his promise because it glorifies his love, grace, and faithfulness. He really is that good, that loving, that giving, and he wants to show us. But he cannot do so if we doubt his promise. If eternal life depended on our works, our commitment, or our faithfulness, we would rightfully wonder if we had done enough, committed enough, or been faithful enough. Doubt is the inevitable outcome when we take our eyes off of God and his promise through Jesus Christ. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. You can be sure of that. It's a tragedy that so many Christians suffer the consequences of no assurance. They cannot go forward because they're always looking backward, wondering if they were really saved. Their witness is timid because they don't really believe God's promise themselves. Their ministry is constantly undermined by a shaky foundation of uncertainty. But to those who have accepted God's promises as sure, there is rejoicing. We have been saved. We are saved. We are His forever, simply by grace. Review questions. 1. What are some reasons Christians doubt their salvation? 2. Is it proud or presumptuous to claim that you are sure of your salvation? Explain. 3. What Bible passages would you use to help those who doubt their salvation? 4. Explain how you can or did settle doubts about your own salvation. You've just heard Chapter 7 of Simply by Grace, which talked about assurance of salvation. And to continue 
a discussion about that topic, I have a special guest uh, with me. His name is uh, Pastor Phil Congdon, pastor of New Braunfeld Bible Church, right in the heart of Texas, and uh, doing a great ministry there. He has a podcast of his own that you might want to check out called Assured by Grace. No coincidence there, is it, that we have him today talk to us about assurance. So he has studied this topic quite a bit, and he has uh, actually doing his doctoral dissertation work uh, on this issue, which we might mention later. Um, so, Pastor Phil, we've talked about assurance in the book, but, you know, do you think that it is a big problem in the church in general? Well, I think it's a huge problem. I think it's a universal problem. Uh, and uh, I find that uh, just about anybody uh, any Christian uh, in any church, uh, they may, you know, churches have different theological persuasions, but uh, the issue of sin uh, that comes up in their lives and the fact that they fall short of the standard of Scripture, they're, they're reading, uh, say, a passage, they hear something being preached, and they, they're just not measuring up, that there's almost a knee-jerk reaction. Um, and, and that knee-jerk reaction is, I, I wonder if I'm really saved or not. Do you have people that contact you and ask about this issue? I do, uh, and it's in different ways. Uh, one of the, the big problems that, not a big problem, I would say, but a concern that people have is for a loved one. Uh, a parent or a child, uh, maybe, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, just a friend that, that that person used to go to church, used to be walking with the Lord, and then something happened. They drifted away, or maybe they went through a crisis in their lives or something, and, and they'll just say, you, you know, they're, they're not living. I don't, know that, I don't know if they're saved anymore. And it's that all, all of a sudden you just... Uh, um, I think we all, in a sense, crawl up onto the throne of God and pass judgment on other people. Uh, but as far as for, the, for me and for myself, uh, if, for Christians who are listening, I think the problem of, of a lack of understanding about grace is a very low-level fear, anxiety. Uh, that we constantly are squelching. We, we don't want to think about it. We know we fall short. We know our sin. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I just, one of the things that, that I always tell people when they're talking to me about this and they're concerned and, and I, I know my life isn't right, I tell them that Satan is really good at what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. And you know what? Satan is going to tempt you to sin. He's going to try to trip you up. He's going to try to get you uh, in any way he can to do something that is against God's will. And then as soon as you're down on the ground, he's going to point his bony finger at you and say, look, you thought you were saved. No, you're not. You're not any good. And at that point, very often, we react with that fear of, oh, maybe I'm not. And can I just say, 
I think there are a lot of pastors today who are doing Satan's work for him. Yeah, maybe unknowingly, but they are doing it because if, if Satan can immobilize us with doubts, yeah. he makes our lives ineffective and nullifies any ministry we might have. We can't operate from a position of uh, confidence, which uh, every Christian should have, as you say. But tell us why you think assurance is such an important issue in the Christian life. Well, assurance is, is uh, I'll share an anecdote here in a second, but I think it's a basis for joy. If I want to have meaning and purpose in my life, I can't be always looking back and saying, I wonder if I'm really saved. Or, you know, this sounds even weirder. I wonder if I've actually been born again. Uh, <laughs> do I really exist spiritually? We, we have to have assurance. And now the assurance of that relationship um, is, a, is, a, is the freedom. Uh, that I now can rest in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he's the son of God. He rose from the dead. I believe that. And instead of looking at my failures, I will now rest in what Jesus did for me. But now I am free to live uh, and I like whoever said, to live a thank you life. And the, the motivation of love is a much more powerful motivation than fear. If I am trying to measure up constantly, uh, you just get tired of that. Um, I recently just wrote an article about this, about, I mean, I think probably a lot of Christians have heard of some of these Christians who are deconstructing in their faith. They're defecting. Mm. Um, I heard of a, just this last, oh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, a guy who's uh, been a professor at Moody. Mm. Uh, he's written for John Piper's Desiring God, and he just came out and announced, I'm no longer a Christian. Uh, I don't believe this anymore. Now, um, the Interesting thing, some people would say, well, you know, he probably never was saved. He was just faking it. I, I take a very different tack on that. I think that after a while, if I was constantly living with Damocles' sword hanging over my head, am I going to make it or not? And, and here, John Piper, who has said, you can believe in Jesus and still go to hell, uh, that's, that's frightening. If somebody really thinks that, and I think these people, they just get tired of it, and they just say, "I'm chucking it in." I this this is just an anecdote that I years ago I was uh, pastoring in Kansas, and uh, there was a television station in Wichita that had every week a, a thing called Thursday's Child, and every Thursday they would put on. Uh, a picture of a child that was in the um, uh, the what do you call it the the system yeah, uh, foster care the foster okay. care system and the, these were children that somebody could adopt. Well, we had a I would call them a fringe couple in the church. It was uh, kind of a wealthy young couple, and they were watching TV one week and. They saw a boy, I think he was 11, 12-year-old boy, and they thought, 
man, he looks like a great kid. And they went through the process. They adopted him. But this was an interesting thing. They had a, a policy there that you had a probationary period. And uh, during that probationary period, uh, that child um, was living in the home, but the parents could decide against keeping the child. And something happened. Uh, some money went missing. And I don't know what it was, a few 10, 20 bucks or something. And this family had two children, and then they had brought in this foster boy. And they blamed the foster boy, and they sent him back. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, what a, what a great w illustration of the way a lot of people view God and their relationship with God. If I'm good, he'll keep me. I'll make it. If I'm not, I I'm going to be, I'm not going to make it. And some would say, well, you lose your salvation. Others would say, you never had it. It's the same difference. If your performance is going to determine that, you're not going to have assurance. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to ever have victory over sin. I say all the time, very dogmatically, that if you're ever basing your assurance of salvation on performance, you will never have it. Whether you make it as part of your commitment up front that you have to do or commit to certain things up front or whether you have to prove it at the back end of your life yeah. to show that you were truly saved, you will never and should never, if you're going to be consistent, have assurance of your salvation. Now, assurance, of course, subjective side of the objective truth of our eternal security. So that would be another discussion yeah. that we have in, in another chapter of the book. But uh, this subjective um, uh, perspective on our eternal security is what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. But can, do you think a person can have doubts about their salvation and still be saved? Of course. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that uh, there might be perhaps millions today who I believe are saved, but who will deal with doubts. I think a lot of times, uh, endless uh, doubts, just constantly worrying ab about this. And, uh, I, you know, in my pastoral experience, I've had kids and old people that have, that have dealt with this. Um, and I myself uh, did as well. I, I mean, when I was a child, I trusted Christ as my Savior. My mother led me to the Lord when I was five. And I, I don't think I understood very much theology at all. But I did understand that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for my sin, and I believed in Jesus as my Savior. He, he died for me. But when I was in high school, I was in a, a Bible study, and, and uh, I still remember we were going through First John. And anybody who's gone through First John, you know that there, there can be a real problem yeah. in, in First John, because you come to First John 3, and it says, uh, something like, I might misquote First John 3, 9, but um, anyone who is born of God does not sin, right? something like that. And some of the translations have softened that to say, does not continue in sin. But I want you to know, it didn't give me any peace because I was a junior, senior in high school, and I knew 
I didn't just sin. I continued in sin. Yeah. And that was, a, that was, it didn't help me. You know, you couldn't soften that. And so, uh, unfortunately, I was exposed to teaching that said that, you know, I, I wasn't born of God. Uh, and I won't go into all the details, but there was one night um, I was laying in bed and I was, you know, tears. Uh, I was a senior in high school. So, I mean, this isn't the most macho moment of my life, but I was just afraid. And I remember into my pillow so that only God and me could hear. Uh, because I was getting these questions like, did you say the right words? Did you, did, was God listening? Um, you know, or whatever. And you can say anything you want. It's irrational. Yes. But I, I was afraid. And I just said, Lord, if I have never done it before, I want you to know now, I know I am a sinner and I believe in Jesus that he died for my sin. And I don't tell people that that was the moment that I was saved. But there was a, a, a teacher back when I was a kid, back in the 1970s. And I remember he said, if, if Satan comes around and he keeps telling you that you're not saved, go out and uh, get somewhere alone and, and put a stake in the ground and say, Lord, I just want you to know I believe in you. I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior. And the next time Satan comes around, walk out there and point to the stake and say, Satan, look. I've already dealt with that. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I did never put a stake in the ground, but, yeah. but I, my stake in the ground was that night when I was just laying in bed. I've preached that uh, illustration myself, and I explained in the book how my own testimony was it, was. it was because of an unclear gospel. I didn't have assurance um, immediately. I mean, I knew I believed, but then I would read something else and said, well, you got to get down on your knees and cry out to God. And so I'd get confused. But it was so refreshing one day when somebody asked me, Charlie, are you a Christian? And I said, okay, this is the moment of truth. Do I believe it or not? And I said, yes. And I haven't looked back from that day. Yeah. And uh, I have not doubted my salvation for one second from that day. And luckily that happened very early, early on. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, if, if we had to look at our lives, we would have doubts. But what are some other reasons that you find Christians can or might doubt their salvation? Because the people uh, who are listening uh, are from all different backgrounds, and there may be different reasons why some of them have struggled. I uh, hate to say it, but I, I have to say that I think the biggest reason is confusion uh, in teaching about mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember, uh, we both uh, can remember uh, a prof from seminary named Howard Hendricks, who used to mm -hmm. say that uh, a fog in the pulpit is a mist in the pew. And uh, I think that um, in my experience, uh, I, I would say at least 75% of the preachers that I hear on the radio don't get the gospel of grace right. Now, they might one time, mm. but the problem is, is that if the next time they don't, then the two messages get combined. Right. You have to have a clear message of grace. If we are saved, if we're justified simply by grace, then 
lay that to rest, move on. How am I going to grow? Well, you're going to grow by grace too. You're going to need God's grace the whole way along. You can be assured by grace. You can have confidence. You can have victory. It's going to be by grace. But I find that this, this bleeds back. Uh, Dave Anderson, you mentioned um, that he wrote, uh, I think, the introduction uh, to yeah. the book. Yes, preface. Uh, the preface. But he has a, a, an illustration in, uh, in one of his books uh, that I, I like, and that is that uh, when you look at a race, like if you're in the Olympics and you're, you're watching a race and, and everybody's lined up at the starting line and the gun goes off, well, what would you think if the camera just stayed right there at the blocks? Yeah. Oh, look at those. Look at that. Look at that. Those blocks. No. me. Where do they go? They go to the finish line. That's where this race is going. That's, that's where everybody's eyes are going to be fixed now on who's going to get to the finish line. Too many times in our preaching, we never get out of the blocks. We just keep talking about the blocks. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, too, what happens is there are passages of Scripture, and, and this you know, is what you dealt with in, in your book, Grace, Salvation, and Discipleship. These are passages of Scripture that can be taken one of two ways. And you have to look at those Scripture passages and be careful with them because those can also be easily used, I think, to de deter us from assurance. Yeah, so. it's uh, getting people to doubt the, their salvation keeps a lot of evangelists and camp speakers employed. They go in and they get everybody unsaved, and then they get them saved again, and then they put the statistics in their newsletter. Uh, <laughs> so... And this might sound funny, but I, you know, I, years ago when I first started, I, I went to a Baptist church in Australia, and I was a youth pastor there. And uh, if you're familiar with, you know, traditional Baptist churches, they would have gospel services mm -hmm. on Sunday night, and so every Sunday night yeah. was kind of a, a gospel message. And and it was kind of a joke that there were some members of the youth group that went forward every week just because they didn't want to hear "Just as I Am" again. <laughs> for the 18th time. It was actually that the, they were under conviction. You know, they had sinned in the last week, and so it probably didn't take. <laughs> so now we'll go forward again. This time, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to take. But, you know, it, I, I think that it impedes growth if we keep looking at that. And, you know, Hebrews, I think, talks about this in Hebrews uh, 5 and 6, where, you know, let's, let's stop going back and, and, you know, trying to base something on, uh, you know, talk about our baptism or how we got started. Let's go on. Let's grow. And, and Paul says the same thing, I think, in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, you know, it, it's past time for you to be off the bottle now. You should be eating meat. So, you know, I think that a lot of times that's where we end up. We end up just constantly doubting, and so we keep going back, going back to that. You know, I, I love the paradigm in the scripture also that is used so often about family, father, children, uh, paradigm. What father would not want his or, her, uh, or parent would not want his or her child to know that he or she belongs to them forever and will not be ever kicked out of the family? 
what kind of unhealthy relationship would develop if a person had to go to bed at night wondering if they would be in that family tomorrow, the next day. But the way I understand the adoption process, and I'm familiar with this somewhat, mm -hmm. is that when someone is adopted, you are promising to take care of them for the rest of their yeah. life yeah. and uh, no matter what, and they are secure in that. It takes them a while maybe to accept that, but they are secure in that. But uh, yeah. I find that a lot of people with introspective personalities struggle with um, assurance. And, and I, I yeah. sometimes tell the story about a friend of mine who actually went to Dallas Theological Seminary because he wasn't sure of his salvation. And he decided to go to Dallas Theological Seminary to find out if he was saved. He came out the other side okay. But that was an awful expensive lesson, wasn't it? Well, that could be really dangerous today, too, I think. <laughs> You could go to a lot of, I don't mean just Dallas Seminary, I mean any seminary, yeah. uh, because I've recently been dealing with some graduates of seminaries that in my lifetime I would have said were uh, just traditional, evangelical, clear on the gospel. Even if they had theological issues that I might differ with, they got the gospel right. And... Um, and graduates of seminary are coming out now and uh, just, uh, you know, they're in the process of being interviewed for a pastorate. They are asked, explain the gospel uh, sure. and how a person can be saved. Mm -hmm. And their answers are, they are a mix of different theologies. Uh, it's almost like they're, they're trying to make sure they they won't disagree with what anybody might think. And in the end, I just think this poor guy has been exposed to a lot of theology and not very much truth. Yeah, that's a big shame, big burden on my heart. Exactly what drove me into Grace Life yeah. Ministries was because uh, the director of alumni at Dallas Theological Seminary, Bob Salstrom, says he was on many ordination councils. And, and the first question he always asked was, tell me how to be saved. And he said these, these graduates from seminary could not answer that question clearly. And I said, my goodness, if we're graduating with a master's of theology and going into a pastorate or ministry and you're trying to be ordained, you should know how to tell somebody clearly how to be saved. So there's all this mix-up about the gospel simply because people don't understand grace. So assurance is just a key issue in all of that. Well, Phil... Uh, I just want you to speak to those who might be listening, yeah. uh, who have struggled with doubts, uh, are struggling with doubts, and just tell them, uh, tell them how to deal with that. Well, uh, I, when I meet somebody, I, I ask them. Uh, you know, somebody says, you know, I'm just not sure I'm saved. You know, I, I'm struggling with sin. Uh, I usually will say, uh, listen, you're struggling with sin. Welcome to the party. Uh, that's something we all are. Okay, but then I would say to them, uh, I'm going to ask you a question now, and I want you to be very honest, and I want you to answer me truthfully from your heart. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead? And they say, yes. I say, okay, you have received the gift of eternal life you have eternal life. That's not something I gave you. It's something that God gave you, and he's promised that. And if they, they have promised, they say, well, but I, how can I know? I'd say, well, okay, let's look at John 3.16. You've heard of that verse. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, okay, what does it say? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but has what kind of life? Everlasting life. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Um, and and you can, you there are a number of verses here, and, and uh, if you've read the book or as you're reading the book, uh, simply by grace, you're going to run across all of these verses. They're going to bubble to the surface. But then I, I, I often times this is a, the only other thing that will happen. Somebody say, "Well, how do I know that I've really believed?" Mm-hmm. And this is my response. I say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my response, but that uh, I would ahead. just say to them. You want to, you're, you're asking me, how do you know that you believe something? <laughs> Tell me something. Do you have a problem believing that I'm sitting here? How do you know you believe that I'm here? Well, you know it. You just believe that. Uh, but I think that there's a, it's a strange thing that that question sounds intelligent. But there's only one thing that that question leads to. Well, you better look at your life, see how you're living. You're living good enough. Then you can say, yeah, I've really believed. And because people have heard that from national famous preachers. Leading theologians. uh, Yep, and leading theologians. They think, well, those guys must know. Uh, You know, I just, it's interesting. Um. I'm, I've been reading a lot of uh, one theologian, in particular one pastor, John Piper, recently. And John Piper, in response to a questioner who asked him, he has a lot of questioners who ask, you know, how, how can I know I'm saved? Uh, in fact, I would say in some ways, John Piper is obsessed with assurance of salvation. He wants people to be assured of their salvation. But John Piper said, you know, this is a serious issue, he says, and this is pretty close to his words. He says, I could be at the end of my life. I've lived a, a godly life. I've preached. I'm being burned at the stake for my faith. And while I am being burned, as the flames are licking at my flesh, a thought goes through my mind. I am going to be viewed as a saint because of this. And in that moment of that selfish pride, I would not be worthy. He would not finish he in faith. He would not finish that race. Which proves he was not one of the elect. And so that view. means that all of his life, what he was preaching, of course, was an unsaved person preaching it, which is really a problem as well. But honestly, the, the way that, that you have to come to this is, if there is not an objective truth that you can believe and settle it, then you'll spend the rest of your life without assurance. That's what grace is all about. Amen. Grace is God's gift. I received it. I believe in Jesus. I don't have to ask, how do I know? I say, I believe. Amen. If somebody asks me, how do you know you believe? I said, because I believe. Amen. At everywhere I go in the world, assurance of salvation is a big problem, and it starts with the pastors. I have spoken to, we trained pastors mostly, as you know, and yeah. you've helped. 
and many of the pastors don't have assurance of salvation. They say, I've been preaching for 10, 20 years, and I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. And I'm teaching a group of pastors now in Africa, and the pastor admits that while he was the pastor of a church for 12 years, he was not saved until he understood grace. I have his testimony. It's very clear. And so we just talked about that, and, he's, and we taught his group, and his group is rejoicing even now. So it's a, it's a big issue, yeah. one of the biggest on my heart, that people have to walk around in doubt like that. And I know that people listening have struggled. Many yeah. of them have struggled, yeah. and many of them settled it because they understand that grace is a free, unconditional gift. But yeah. I'm just wondering, Phil, as we end here, if you could pray for uh, those who are listening who have some doubts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, your son, for his life, for his teaching. I thank you for the sacrifice on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, given his blood shed for the sins of the world. And Lord, thank you then for raising him from the dead and so that he has a free gift now that he is the the victor over sin and death, can offer this free gift to all who believe in him. And Lord, you've, if there were a hundred miles between you and us, you have gone 99.99 of those miles. Mm. All we do is receive by faith your gift. Mm. So um, Lord, I pray for any of those who have been struggling with this, that right now they would understand the value of the blood of Jesus that was shed for them mm -hmm. and believe in him, trust in him, mm -hmm. and then head forward in their life mm -hmm. saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm yours forever. And now help me as I live this life day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Phil, I think right now um, there's a lot of people that just got saved hearing this at whatever time they're hearing it. But I want to thank you for being with us today. It's been great. And, and uh, you know, the title of that book and the title of this podcast, I just think, Simply by Grace. Uh, I don't know why anybody would ever want to argue against Simply by Grace. But, uh, yeah. Well, it's because of the flesh and the pride that yeah. we have. Grace is so hard to understand and receive. But um, Pastor Phil, past, pastor of uh, New Brunfield Bible Church, if you're in the area, drop in and hear some excellent Bible teaching. He's one of my favorite speakers, and he's a great writer, too. He has many articles out there. And you ought to get his commentary on 1 Corinthians, the best I know from a perspective that keeps things consistently clear in the gospel. Um, it's called uh, the Church in the Church in the World, First Corinthians, and um, we'll look forward to hearing what he produces uh, in his doctoral work about John Piper and the issue of assurance. And then tune into his podcast, also called Assured by Grace, and I think you'll be rewarded with a lot of rich discussions there. So, Pastor Phil, thank you, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.